Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Don Costa. Don, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic, man. So why don't you take a second to introduce yourself to those of the, those of our listeners that don't know who you are and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate. Um, I do rehab work. I, I'm, I'm a fix and flip guy. Um, I, I do a little bit of wholesale stuff here and there, but our primary business is taking something and adding value and reselling it. And um a small company here in the California market in Fresno, California, Central Valley, California, and uh, just love what I do. Awesome. So how long have you been in real estate? I have been in real estate for pretty much going on 15 years. I I started in 2003 and um, had a good time, had a good role, and uh, got, got hit pretty hard by the crash and then got started up again in 2012. So I know you have an incredible story. You and I have spent time together. I've recently come and visited you in, in your offices. And so let's talk about your business prior to the crash. You were mainly rehabbing back then. What happened during that time frame from 2007, 2008 to your business? Yeah, I was rehabbing. Um, I was in a market where you could pretty much just throw a rock at a a house and make money. It was real easy to do it. So I was, um, wasn't really running it like a business and I was rehabbing and, you know, we're going over budget and taking longer than expected on a regular basis, but that made me money. You know, that the way the market was accelerating every time I'd go, you know, a month over schedule, I would make, you know, $20,000 more. So, um, really just was haphazardly running the business. And when 2007, eight hit, um, you know, the, the, the holes in the ship per se were, became very evident, you know, the, the lack of systems and structures in the operation became very evident because suddenly, um, you could hardly sell properties. You could hardly make money. And, um, and it, I just basically crashed and burned. I mean, in, in a nutshell, I, I, I proceeded over the next couple of years to basically lose everything. So what did you do when the crash happened and you lost everything? Did you go to a different job? Did you try a different career? Or did you continue down real estate? No, unfortunately, I didn't continue down real estate. I kick myself now because, you know, there was about a year where it was just impossible to really make money as an investor. Um, basically, most of 2008 and then in 2009 is when a lot of opportunities presented themselves um, but I was too scared to get back in. I actually opened a small office, started the process of getting back into it, and then chickened out and closed it all up. So um, I had, you know, I had basically made a lot of money the first time around. And so I had got this kind of everything I touch turns to gold syndrome. And I opened a restaurant nightclub and started a sunglass line and had a development project going and had all these irons in the fire. And, um, and when, you know, basically when, when it crashed, it all fell apart. We spent probably 
well, till about the the mid part of 2011, fighting to keep the restaurant and nightclub open. Um, I basically focused in on trying to keep that open and alive. You know, when you open a restaurant in the beginning of the worst economy ever, you have challenges. And then, and then the nightclub component was something that the city I was in um, was not going to allow us to operate the way we wanted to operate. So we spent a lot of time fighting with the city. So I, I think basically what I did is I um, went into survival mode and I buckled down and tried to save the last thing I had to fight for and spent way too long fighting for something that wasn't going to work. Um, and at the at the middle of 2011, myself and the partners I was involved in decided to close it. We realized we were never going to win with the city and um, that the effort and the stress and everything wasn't worth it. So um, at that point in time, I tried to get a job. I looked around, um, and if anybody remembers that time frame, it was almost impossible to get hired. I have an associate's, associate's degree. I don't have a bachelor's degree. So, you know, anything that I was qualified for wouldn't hire me because I was not, I was undereducated. And um, anything that I didn't need a bachelor's degree for, I couldn't get hired because I was overqualified. And several companies straight out tell me that they were not going to hire me because I was worth more. And they knew the second I found something better that I would leave. So I couldn't get a job. And, um, I always tell the story about this moment. We have these defining moments in our, in our lives. Um, I took my family to Taco Bell one Saturday thinking I had $90 on a credit card available. And I was going to take them to lunch and a movie and just get out of the house and, and, and uh, you know, just kind of relax, right? And uh, got to Taco Bell, ordered the food, and the card wouldn't clear. And um, had the guy run it again, it wouldn't clear. And he basically, you know, he... he as loud as it can be, he's like, "What? Well, you don't have the money to pay. And, and uh, you know, me being a hustler and a fighter and holding it together. And and uh, I wasn't phased. I have thick skin. But I was walking out of that restaurant with my son and my family. And um, my son looks up to me and says, you know, Dad, why wouldn't that guy give us our food? And that was like, that was just, uh, you know, it, that broke me in so many ways, in, in good ways, because I realized that I had been, I'd been focused on all the little scrimmages, right? All the battles, the little battles, you know, the survival mode stuff and just keeping the lights on and trying to, you know, buying gas with quarters and, and trying to, you know, basically get through the grocery store with a calculator and get groceries without making a flaw out of myself. I'd focused on basically um, on the hustle and I'd become, I think, content and proud of the fact that I was good at being broke. And, um, but I wasn't, living past that i wasn't you know from fear or whatever else i wasn't going past that and that moment when my son you know i realized that i was impacting my family and you know my son and my because i had two sons at the time both my sons um that i was failing them um you know that 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 just i I had to take in like a self you know, accounting, right? A, a whole self, you know, um, what is, what are, what are the, what are the things I bring to the table? What do I have? What are my limitations? What are my, what are, what do I excel at? And, um, and the two things I was good at was identifying a deal and raising private money. I was really good at identifying a deal, talking to sellers, closing deals and raising private money. And, um, so I had no option, you know, I had to get back into real estate investing. And so I basically put the steps in motion to do it. That's amazing because I, you know, I have a similar story in the fact that I always share that on my one of my first wholesale deals, 
after depositing earnest money and the option fee, I took all of my bank accounts down to eleven dollars, and that was i what you just said really resonated with me in the fact that I realized up until that point I had been content with just running a business. I had prior businesses before being into investing, and i was I was too busy patting myself on the back and the fact that I had started a business and I was making enough money just to pay the bills. And that moment of going down to $11 and realizing that was an, an all-in moment. Like, it, it, this has to happen. This has to work. Or I'm not going to be able to put food on the table for my family like you, you experienced. Um, some of those moments, as, as tragic as they may seem when they happen they can really motivate you to proceed into much better things in the future. And I know it, it did that for me. Sounds like that it did that for you as well. So when you decided to go back into real estate investing, knowing that you had lost everything just a few years before, what decisions did you make differently in how you were going to run your business going forward? Well, I mean... I think that first and foremost, you know, I, I decided that I wasn't going to take anything for granted. You know, I um, I had this ego the first time around that you can put me in any city in the United States and I can make ten grand, you know, in, in two weeks type of thing. I just I just felt like I was unstoppable, and so the first time around, I over leveraged, um, way over leveraged, you know, and just thought I could do everything and conquer the world, and I didn't focus on my core business as much as I should have. You know, I had multiple offices. I started a real estate company and a mortgage company and a property management company. And like I said, a sunglass line and a restaurant. And um, it, it's all well and good, but, you know, um, you know, I'm not saying don't do that, but, you know, get strong at your core competency first. You know, make sure you build a good team of people you can count on to run that organization successfully uh, before you move on to something else, basically. And I was kind of, kind of haphazardly. I was making so much money, I was just throwing money at everything, and I was haphazardly kind of um, doing all these different things. And on the surface, it appeared to be successful because we were in, you know, this ridiculously crazy economy where it was really easy to make money. So, you know, in the real world, um, this time around, I just decided to run it like a business. Like, everything we do is on time, you know. I used to be in projects six months, eight months. Um, you know, now our average turn time is 100 days from the time we, from close to close, basically. And, uh, yeah, that's for full rehabs. So we run it like a business. I focused on building a solid team. I empowered my team to make decisions and, um, you know, gave them the strength and, and the opportunities they needed to be successful. And, you know, we, um, you know, we just have efficiencies in place. You know, people refer to systems all the time. We have systems and structures and accountability processes in place that we, we adhere to. And every time we deviate from one of those systems, we get reminded as to why it's in place, you know. So I, I think that the underlining foundation this time around for me is just is just really running it like a business and structuring it like a business and not taking it for granted. Um, I, I don't over leverage. I keep plenty of reserves in the bank. Um, I pay myself a paycheck, you know, that fits my lifestyle. Um, I don't just take all the money that comes in and go out and blow it. 
you know, last time I drove, I had two BMWs and a, and a truck and, you know, um, everything was leased. You know, now I have, you know, a 2012 GMC Sierra that I bought two years old and I paid cash for. You know, there's just differences, you know. Uh, all the furniture in my office last time was pretty much leased. This time I own every single, you know, chair and desk and copier. So there's just differences. Like, I don't owe anybody um, this time around. If if my income stopped today, I could survive for quite a long time with the reserves I have in the bank, and um, and I could still run my business efficiently and effectively. So last time around, the income stopped, and it was just like yeah, falling into a big black hole. So, you know, I think there's just uh, – at the end of the day, the answer is there's just fundamental differences in belief and, um, you know, accountability and time and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So let's jump into, you say your average turnaround time on a property is 100 days from close to close. How are you making decisions or what are you doing within your business to make that quick of a turnaround? Well, accountability is, you know, first and foremost, is setting the standard. You know, I think that um, as leaders of our organization, we have to set the standard. You know, people talk about systems all the time. I just did a big presentation um, at an event in front of like 600 people. Um, people always say systems, systems, you know, you need systems in your operation, but nobody says like, you know, what is a system, right? <laughs> so, and to me, a system is basically, all it is, 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 is the boundaries, the expectations that you set with that your team is going to operate within, right? That's a, that's a system and that, that is applied to anything. So for instance, um, you know, one of the ways we pay contractors is we pay weekly and we pay only for work that's been completed. And we do that because, um, we basically force our contractor to set a goal the week before. So they bill us on Friday for the work they're going to finish by the next Friday. And then we pay them that following Friday for the work completed. So we've made them set a goal for what they're going to complete. And then they, they do not get their check unless they've reached that goal. So that's a system in our organization that kind of forces accountability to the contractor. And the and it also it sets us up in a position to where if they're not finished with that rehab, you know, or that you know whatever it is they need to finish by that Friday, we don't have to give them their check. And if we feel like they're not going to be able to be a good, you know, fit for that project, we can actually pull them off that project and throw somebody else into that project, and we're not out any money. So um, we build relationships, you know, and with our vendors. That's another way we do it. We build relationships. All of our vendors we worked with for three, four, five years. We know their capabilities. They know our expectations. And so that allows us to be efficient in that manner as well. Um, you know, you name it. You know, I have two project managers that check the projects on a regular basis and make sure that we're meeting timelines and we're meeting the quality that we need. Um, you know, that's, you know, we have standards on how often a project should be seen. We don't just leave it up to the contractor to send us pictures because pictures lie. So there's a lot of little things we do to have those efficiencies in place and to get things to the, to the finish line. And then, and then we have processes when we sell, you know, for instance, um, when we sell, we have a criteria where we require all buyers to be qualified through our preferred lender, no matter what lender they're using to buy, they have to be qualified through our preferred lender. So we know when we accept a buyer that that buyer is qualified to close, you know, if you have multiple offers, say you have five offers on a property, 
You know, your highest offer may not be a strong buyer. You know, they may have a prequal letter from their aunt Marge, right, who says they're qualified, but there's a couple of things that she wants to fix in their credit before she can actually get it closed. Well, we'll know that going into that, and we won't necessarily take that buyer. So when we accept an offer, we know that the chances of it closing are very strong. You know, we're not guessing in that department. So at the end of the day, I think we try to control everything. And we don't leave anything up to guessing, and um, that's one of the reasons why we can do what we do. I'm also assuming that part of this goes back to the acquisition of the type of properties that you're rehabbing as well, because one of the downfalls that you said prior to the crash was you would get in the projects and it would take longer for you to complete the rehab. Is it? Are you acquiring a certain type of property that requires a certain type of rehab? compared to what you did in the past? No, not at all. Um, we So before the crash, it was I would shake your hand and you'd tell me two weeks and $20,000 and it would be three months later and it'd be forty grand and you still wouldn't be done. And I was like, eh, you know, no big deal. Um, so I was, I was naive. I was under-experienced. I was easily taken advantage of. Um, you know, you'd, you'd basically say, you know, I'll, I'll paint the house for a thousand bucks. You go buy the paint and I go buy the paint and, you know, I didn't spend like $3,000 on paint to paint a 1500 square foot house. Um, you know, so it was just, you know, basically, you know, the, just the inside, not, not the inside outside. I'm just saying, you know, like I would be taken advantage of, I remember one time a contractor, he had, I'd caught him basically kind of screwing me and I made a deal with him that that um, I would buy the paint for a house that I bought that I was going to live in and they would do the labor for free. And so they walked me through the house and they're like, okay, for the living room, we need three five-gallon buckets. And for the kitchen, we need two five-gallon buckets. And for the hallway, we need one five-gallon bucket. And for the master bedroom, we need one. We need two five-gallon buckets. And the two other bedrooms, we need one five-gallon bucket each. And I went to the paint store. I went to Sherman Williams and, and I handed the guy the list. And he's like, so how many houses are you painting? I'm like one and he's like, how big's the house? And I'm like, 2000 square feet. He's like, you paint the house inside and out twice. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? He's like, you're buying enough paint to buy a 5,000 square foot or to build the, the, the paint a square 5,000 square foot house. And, um, those, you know, you have these aha moments <laughs> and that was an aha moment that, right. That, you know, I just look people, even the best people in the world will take opportunities, right? They'll take opportunities. Not necessarily, they don't, in their eyes, they may not think they're taking advantage, but maybe the guy thought that since he was doing the labor for free, he deserves some extra paint. So he didn't have to buy paint for the next job. I don't know. But, um, it, it just, it, it goes to show that I didn't run my business like a business. And so now it's like, I know, I know the cost per linear foot for baseboard in my market for Home Depot contractor pack out the door with taxes, 61 cents a linear foot. So, and I know in my market that a very, very fair price for labor is a dollar a linear foot. So I'm going to pay you a dollar sixty-one a linear foot, and I can live with that. If you're coming and wanting three dollars a linear foot, I know you're screwing me. So um, I'm just, I'm much more aware this time around, and I'm much more aware of what how long something should take and and that kind of thing. I know, and I'm going to hold you accountable. So if you know, before pre-crash, I would show up to a job and 
you know, you wouldn't be there and I'd, I'd kick and moan. And then, you know, three or four days later, you'd show up and start working again for two days and you'd disappear for a week. And um, I had no controls in place. Um, I would usually give deposits up front. And so I had no recourse. Now we don't give a deposit. You start the work. We pay you weekly. If you disappear and I fire you, I'm not out any money. So I just, you know, it's, it's, it's knowledge, it's experience, it's efficiencies, it's, it's systems, it's structure. It, there's just differences. So what would take me six, eight months sometimes to turn a 1500 square foot house, then I can do that. And, you know, I could probably do that in 90 days, you know, if it wasn't for FHA and a few other things that kind of skew my numbers. So, but, um, it's just because now I know I have my finger on it, you know, makes sense with, these systems in place now, what kind of volume are you doing annually? We, we do run a hundred a year in 2000 and, um, in 2016, we, we landed 88. So, and we'll, we'll, we'll cross the hundred, hundred line this year. Um, we, you know, we do a decent, decent amount of volume. It's, it's, uh, you know, and the volume sounds, sounds real sexy. You know, I want to say that, you know, for anybody out there, Concentrate first on deals, you know, making sure that the money's there. Um, that's something we try to do. We have certain thresholds in, in where the numbers we want to hit that we don't cross. So, um, you know, but, but yeah, we do a lot. <laughs> and those are all single family rehab projects, correct? Single family rehab projects. Yeah. We, um, but we're doing more wholesale this year just because the market's been kind of crazy and there's a lot of leads we used to throw away that we're able to capitalize on. So um, if we get everything to the finish line, I think we'll do four or five wholesales this month. But uh, but our core business is rehab. Yeah. Do you foresee doing any buy and holds in the future? I do do some buy and holds. I have some rentals. Um, I I struggle with rentals personally just because um, we refuse to buy anything unless we're getting it at, at, at flip numbers. You know, I... I'm not as concerned as much. I, I guess the way I want to say it is I don't just look at what the um, cap rate is. I look at what the exit is as well. So a lot of people will be like, oh, you're not going to buy something that's worth 200 but I can get it for 210 but it cash flows $400 a month. That's that's all well and good. I won't touch that with the info poll. You can do that all day long, and I'm, I'm happy for you, but I've been through this once. So for me, it's it, I have to be able to exit the project, and I have to be able to exit the project successfully um, if the market starts to turn. So... I like to buy at deep discount, so I don't get as many rentals, I think, as other people do. But the rentals I get have, you know, fairly sizable equity plays in them, and they cash flow really nice. The problem is, when with so much equity in them, is whenever they go vacant, it's real easy to just rehab it and throw it on the market and sell it. So, um, but yeah, so we are looking for anybody who's listening who is in, in markets, we are looking for large apartment communities. Uh, we are going that route, um, you know, so that's something we're definitely interested in tackling. Gotcha. So I know there's, you know, we've talked about your your rehab business, but you do a lot inside the real estate investing community outside of just rehabbing properties. You're the host of the Flip Talk podcast. You have the Flip Talk podcast group on Facebook that is, you know, I think you're close to 5,000 followers on. And then you're also creating um, – masterminds and, and education programs. Why don't you talk a little bit about what it is you're doing within the real estate investing community for other investors? 
Yeah, I um, you know, I had the opportunity, you know, a while back to be on some podcast, and I really enjoyed it. The first one I was on, I felt like my tongue was basically stuck to the roof of my mouth, and and um, it was really terrifying. But after that, I kind of, I kind of learned to love it. So about a year ago, I decided to do a podcast, and um, I take that back. Probably about eighteen months ago, I decided to do a podcast, and um, you know, I ended up launching it about a year ago and it's just been really, really fun. You know, I wanted to stay in, in the real estate realm, right? Like I had my business is done somewhat autopilot. I don't look at the properties. Like I, I couldn't tell you what cross street most of our properties are on, unless it was something that one of my, somebody that I have been networking for with for years brought to me, I couldn't tell you where it's at. And so, which is a great place to be right as a business owner, but I didn't want to get distracted again. You know, that's what I feel like was my downfalls. I wasn't paying attention to my core business last time. So I want to stay present. And so it just seemed like going this direction would be a good way to go. And I wanted to give back. And so uh, Flip Talk was born and it's been a great ride. And um, I've gotten to talk to some really cool people around the country and I've gotten to make great friends like you and some other people around the country. And it's been good. So a lot of people started reaching out. You know, we're very transparent. We try to share content on the show. I try to share whenever somebody asks me a question, I try to be as transparent and honest about it as I can. And people start reaching out about coaching and different things like that, which was not something that was on my radar. But but uh, I got so many requests that I decided to, you know, to do it. And, I, you know, the way I am, and I'm sure you're the same way, RJ, I'm not going to put my name on anything if it's not like the best it can be. So um, we have been spending quite a few months trying to look at other education platforms and just really kind of develop the best information we possibly can, the most relevant information we possibly can. And, um, and you know, we're, we're very close to launching quite a few programs. We have started doing live events for investors who are um, – you know, basically doing deals. They already have a business and they're just, they're hitting some kind of roadblock where they can't grow. And so we started doing events that way and trying to help people kind of see, you know, where their struggles are, where opportunities are. And um, from that, it's it's turned into a mastermind. And, um, you know, we just want to, you see, I guess it's, it's not just about money for me, right? It's about, changing business and changing lives. So one of the, you know, one of the things that I see about uh, masterminds out there around the country, that's a downfall. It's a problem, even though they're great in a lot of ways is they get too big. You know, um, the creator of the mastermind is, it ends up, you know, wanting to make all the money. And I want a smaller group. I want to create a mastermind of a smaller group of high level people who, um, you know, one market, you don't have a competitor in your market. You can share. You can be transparent. You can be open. And so, you know, and it's not going to be about the money. It's going to be about the people in the room. So, you know, we do have to charge. We do have we have costs. Um, you know, we did an event, you know, at the end of August. And that was, you know, just, I mean, that event alone for two days cost us $10,000. So there are costs that, you know, that we do have. Um and we need to cover and we try to price it accordingly. So we get compensated for our time. We cover our costs, but we're, you know, we're, but we're at the same time, we're giving, you know, 10, 20 times the information than what you're actually, you know, you're getting 10, 20 times the value, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to find that balance. And I think we're, we're having a good, good, we're doing a good job of doing that. Yeah, I was, 
you know, my company attended your first event in August. And one of the things that I appreciated the most about the event was how transparent you were with allowing us to see your entire operation and actually getting to meet your project managers and, and meeting Cass and all of the different people in your operation and hearing them share their daily responsibilities, but then also seeing how that has allowed you to not be as involved in the business and allowed you to grow the business as well as the other things that you're doing. Um, it was inspirational for us at Titanium that we're there, but also it, it opened our eyes to how much work you put into growing your team and how important that team is to going to that next level. And, and every time I talk about that event, which is actually called the next level, I actually use that phrase because that is what you teach. You teach people within your programs how to go from whether it's a million dollars a year revenue or five million dollars, you're still teaching principles to take people to that next level. And that's one of the things that I appreciated the most about the program itself. Well, I appreciate that. And um, it was great having you guys here. And you guys definitely added a lot of value to the group. But I know you I know you got to meet a few people that you're doing business with. So that's, you know, that's the um, the, the collateral uh, uh, positive, right? You know, that you've gotten to do some business. With. You even got a lender out of it, didn't you? I, I did. And it's funny because there were 17 people in the room. You're going to be the third person on my podcast. And, and I'm doing regular business with um, two of the other people that were in the in the the mastermind, and that alone speaks volumes about the success of the event. and And I agree. I, I think there is a huge downfall to a lot of masterminds when there's too many people. One of the things that was beneficial about the event is that we all had our time to talk about our business, the downfalls, but it it also allowed each one of us to give feedback to everyone in the room. And and I thought that was one of the the best parts of it. And so, you know, for people out there that are listening that might not be able to be a part of this mastermind, keep that in mind. If that's something that you want to grow for yourself, don't try to grow it too large. Um, keep it smaller to where everybody can participate and bring value to the group. Yeah, definitely. I agree 100%. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things that's, that I think is important too to to hit on is make sure you're in a group. What was really cool about um, the group that we're putting together is the levels of experience that everybody has. You know, like um, you're newer, you're 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 post 2009, right? 2008, and I'm pre 2008. And right. um, we had that mix of experience, and we were able to. I remember we had a very candid conversation about you know kind of. Is when you're new, you have uh, you have this ambitious naivety that is it's a strength, right? When I say naivety, I don't mean like in a bad way. I mean it's a strength because you feel like you can conquer the world and you don't know everything can go wrong. And I remember when I had that, that was very powerful. But when you've been through some of the things that I've been through and people like me have been through, you have this tempered experience um, that's also a strength. And so being able to collaborate with each other in the room. Um, you know, was huge. I think for me, it opened my eyes to, um, you know, opportunities I may be passing on. And for you guys, 
you know, kind of you get that that caution, right, of, you know, this could end, so make sure you're being prepared. And it was really good balance, I think. So it's important to get yourself in a room with people who've been through a market cycle, um, you know, if you haven't. And if you've been through a market cycle, get yourself in the room with somebody who hasn't because, you know, you guys can help feed each other. Um, sometimes it's not just knowledge. Sometimes it's 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 that that balance of, you know, of, you know, gumption and gusto and tempered wisdom, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was an honor to be able to be in a room with people that went through the crash and are still in investing and found a way to bring themselves back up to even a higher level than they were pre-crash, but to get to pick your brain and and basically I, I was pretty candid with my questions like, Teach me what to do so I don't have to go through those struggles that you went through. Um, I, I understand that the markets that I'm that my business is in are obviously booming right now, and and it's not always going to be that way. There's there's going to be the ebbs and flows, and I wanted to hear from you guys. You know what are y'all doing differently? And obviously that's why this interview has focused around. You know what did you learn from the crash and how is your business running differently this time and and obviously you have completely changed the way that you run your business and and that's led to being able to rehab you know over a hundred properties this year so right um, appreciate everybody that was there at the event and then also you for hosting it so my next one of my last questions that I want to ask you I always ask people this what is the driving force behind you running your business the way that you do growing a podcast, a following on Facebook, a mastermind? What is your why behind all of these things that you do for your business? Well, I think my why is obvious. I have a family um, that I obviously care deeply about and I want to um, make sure I provide for. Um, I have a team that is just incredible and um i want to make sure that their their goals are fulfilled and uh you know, they have opportunities you know that they, they may or may not have had without this this organization that we have here today and then um my third why is my abundance of add <laughs> that does not allow me to sit still and um you know, so I'm always driving to create something and do something and, and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of whys. You know, I, I really, I didn't, you know, one of the, my, my, my base why in my family has always been, you know, that is the foundation, right? But, but getting into doing this and building this company, you know, I didn't know ahead of time that I was going to be able to build this team with phenomenal people and see them um, do great things. And so that's become a huge why to see that continue to grow. And then with the, with the podcast, it's just, I mean, the interaction with so many incredible people, man, if you're not going to meetups and going to events and going to masterminds and getting, getting out of your box and meeting people from across the country or just interacting on Facebook at the least, you're really doing yourself a disservice. You know, um, I spoke at an event in San Diego in front of 600 people. I'm not a public speaker. It scared the hell out of me. Now, for some reason, I want to do it 10 times because it was so much fun. But um, I got to hang out with people who listen to the podcast, you know, uh, Mel and Chris McGeady, um, Paul DePozo, and um, 
And it was just, it's so cool, you know, having these conversations with people, you know, when we did the event and I got to hang out with you and some other people, it's just, it's, it's really neat. And that's become a why in itself, you know, just being able to see, you know, people grow their businesses and their lives change in this business and be able to talk to them, interact with them and become friends with them. That's a huge why as well. So that's a long extended answer, but there's just so many. That's okay. I still laugh. When I showed up at your event, I was introducing myself to someone. And he goes, oh, yeah, you have a podcast, too. And I was I was blown away. I was like, there's someone out there that listens to my podcast already? Because when, when we were at your event, I was on, like, episode two. And it, it's, it was one of those cool moments. But it it's awesome to know that there's people out there that find value in, in people like me and you having conversations about our businesses. And, and you and I were having a conversation the other day about it, and you said – no matter what level you're at, you always have the ability to teach someone else. And and so even though to someone who's doing 200 flips a year, which is double what you're doing, you still have something to teach that person. Maybe it's a system or maybe there's something else within your business that you can still teach that person and you can learn. And and that's, to me, one of the values of, of doing the podcast and, and the Facebook groups and, like you said, just networking with people. So Absolutely. you're going to be the first person that I'm going to ask this question to, so you should feel honored. Okay. Depends on the question. It's a very important <laughs> question. Where's Don Costa going to be in five years? Oh, man. You know, I wish I had this really cool, sexy answer for you, but I, I don't know. Um, that's a fantastic question. It, it depends on a lot of things. You know, I just want stability for, for my, my family and my life. I want my business operating on autopilot. I want us to be prepared um, for anything that happens down the road. So in the, in the direction that I'm going right now, um, I'm probably going to be a, a lot deeper into education and um, information and helping people out and, I really, I really am becoming more and more passionate about changing businesses and changing lives. I'm trying to find that balance right now because it's tough to be, you know, engaged in your real estate investing business and running what, you know, essentially is an education business. There's a lot of moving parts to the education side. Um, you know, it's a completely different business. And, you know, so... I want to make sure that whatever I do, that I'm that it's relevant and that I'm plugged in and I know the market, I know what's going on, you know. So, um, you know, right now I think I'm just trying to find my my place in in that in that world and and um, and how I want to achieve that, right? But uh, I would say probably I would be more engaged in changing lives. That's that's really important to me, you know, especially where I came from. I mean, I came from buying gas with quarters at a time. I pulled up in my leased BMW that I was I was basically behind on payments, trying to keep her from getting re- 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 uh, repossessed, and going up to the cashier with with uh, with three dollars and quarters to buy a gallon of gas. So, I mean, you know, I came from a bad spot. I came from a very foolish place, and um, and where I am now, being able to be strong and stable and successful. Um, there, nobody has an excuse. Oh, I don't have money. Well, I didn't have money. I didn't have credit. I didn't have credibility. I mean, there's so many things that are stacked against me, right? And I was able to pull it off. So, um, you know, I think that, that you know, I'm going to be able to really 
affect people. And I don't mean that in a conceited way. I mean that in a, I can't wait to do it way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the, the reason why I asked that question is, is because my company just hit our, our five year anniversary, not titanium, but being in business for myself as an entrepreneur for five years. And, and when we hit that anniversary, it really dawned on me that five years ago, if someone had asked me that question, there's no way in the world I could have predicted where I'm at today. But my answer would have been similar to what you just said. I hope that the business is running sufficiently and efficiently, and I hope that I'm providing for my family. I'm also hoping that I'm providing for the employees that I have. Um, but now that I'm here, what I looked at was, is okay, I want to make goals for where I'm going to be when I hit my 10-year anniversary. And and those goals, still similar, but also, like you said, now it expands outside of the close-knit circle and impacting the people, more people, a larger base of people, not just my family and my employees, but like you said, education to other investors, help change businesses. Um, it's amazing how that evolution happens within business where suddenly it's not so much about you anymore, but it's about how can I impact other people out there? Um, so they experience the same kind of success that I've had within my business. And so it's, it's funny to hear you say that because those are similar answers that I, I gave to myself where I'm looking in 10 years from or five years from now, I hope I'm doing similar things to, as to what you're talking about and what you're growing. Yeah, I, you know, we, we all have our five-year plan, right? But, I mean, one of the things that you learn is this business can take you in in, in, in a few different directions with opportunities. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, for everyone that's listening, if they want to reach out and talk to Don Costa, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, you can reach me at donaflipdoc.com. Um, I do respond to those emails. Um, you can also find us on our Facebook group, the Flip Talk Podcast. If you go to Facebook in the search bar, you just type in Flip Talk Podcast and the group will come up. And um, you can also find the podcast um, through iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and iHeartRadio. It's just, it's Flip Talk. You search Flip Talk and it'll pop up. And so there's a lot of ways to find me. Um, I'm out there and uh, just ready to, to do some cool things. So if you're interested in any events coming up, you can also hit me up and just put that in the subject line and we'll get information out to you as well. So, um, but yeah, in the meantime, just go kill it, kick butt and succeed. Well, Don, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. I know I've told you privately, but you are one of the uh, inspirations for me starting my own podcast. And uh, it's slightly intimidating interviewing you. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit different being on this side of the microphone, um, interviewing you, but I appreciate you taking the time and everything that you do for real estate investors out there and helping people. Um, you, you truly inspire, um, not only myself, but everybody within my organization to be better, um, people and, and to reach out and try to help other investors to be better in their own business. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot for sure. So, um, yeah, makes 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 a lot of this a lot of the stuff that I do worth it for sure to hear that. So I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you for sitting down with us, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.